The, uh, last week we started to go through the right of the Office of the Ministry. Uh, I think most of you were here. If you weren't here, though, just to let you know the reason why we were doing that, one, we were in Matthew 16, we were talking Office of the Keys, which is an office exercised by pastors uh, on behalf of the church. So we started talking about it there, and then also the congregations in the, the early thralls of uh, call process, which... I have opinions about, I'll try to keep those to myself, <laughs> but my perspective is, of course, unique, um, not having a call currently and serving as vacancy. All right. Um, so I made the argument that the right of, really the right of ordination and installation is intentionally catechetical. So it was, it's there to teach you and to remind the pastor why uh, he's pastor, who made him pastor, what his responsibilities and duties are, what you can expect of him, uh, what he can expect of you, all of that. It's not really a negotiation because it's given to us by God's word, but it's helpful to, to hear that again. And I made the argument that, that we'd really do that with all the rites of the church. So baptism is the same way. We, re- we rehearse, uh, like Mark 16, uh, what else? Matthew 28, we hear those readings every baptism, uh, just like we have them in the catechism for baptism, because... Um, they teach us again, or they remind us. Uh, and so the, the whole rite of baptism teaches baptism. So it's beneficial to witness that as a congregation, which is why Lutherans took it out of the baptistry and brought it into the sanctuary, the font, for exactly, and the rite. Uh, although there's nothing forbidden about doing it at home or uh, in the hospital, especially in case of emergency, right? So it's beneficial to do it in the church, but you don't have to. The... Uh, Weddings the same way. Working through a wedding for Rob. Where did, where did mom go? There she is. There's mom. Yeah, there's mom. So your son Rob is getting married on Holy Saturday. Awkward <laughs> for me. Not for them, but for me. Uh, difficult week, but that's okay. Uh, I just stepped into that. But um, again, we're going to rehearse quite a bit about what marriage is and why it's given, and that's, that's in the right of marriage. So we're going to do the same thing with the Office of the Ministry. We got up through... Uh, the prayer. Yeah, grab a handout. I don't know. There they are. And sign the uh, attendance book as it gets passed around. Uh, so we went through a prayer, and then we, did it, then we said we're going to listen to what the, Holy, what the Holy Scripture says concerning the institution of the office of the ministry. Or you could say it this way, what Jesus says. Right? All right. So it began with the institution, which we talked quite a bit about last week, those two readings. Matthew 28 which is also baptism, but it's also the work of the, of the pastors there to go and make disciples or go disciple-making. What was the question Eric had? Because I looked it up. Oh, yeah. It was a grammatical one. I asked the question about um, the great commission. Yeah. Oh, go therefore. It's aorist passive. Yeah. Meaning, as you are going. I think is how you've translated it, too. Yeah, and that's how you translate it, an aorist passive. That's a Greek tense. You don't have to understand that, but, but that's a, it, it means <laughs> passive in a sense that it's, it's done. We use passive tense to say it's done to you or it's done upon you. So in this case, it's, it's aorist passive has a different connotation than that. It's more, um, they call it connotative. That's the grammatical term. You don't have to understand it. But as you are going, it's less, less like go, go, go all the time. It's more as you are going, which is vocational. So you have opportunities to speak the word of the gospel in your family, 
um, in your workplace, in your country as a citizen even, <laughs> uh, although that can get a little harried, um, but, it, but in all the contexts that you're in, that you get put into, stations and places of life. Okay, so good, that was a question I was supposed to answer. We also looked at uh, John 20, so peace be with you, which was a word of forgiveness, I said, and then sending. There was a question about disciples versus apostles, right? Was that in here? Dan says yes, okay. So it does, I think that maybe came afterwards, actually. I don't know. But disciple uh, is a follower, and apostle is a sent one. Apostello means to be sent out. So they become apostles, Matthew 28, when he sends them out. Well, actually, <laughs> they're sent, but they're said, wait, until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? So they're going out doesn't happen until Pentecost. All right. Good so far? So institution is, means it's given and it's, it's set up. Uh, office, do we talk about what office means? All right, so what's the closest parallel we might have in usage? It doesn't mean, like, you call it the pastor's office upstairs? Uh, a lot of times they call it pastor's study. Because in, in theory, that's what he does in there. Uh, in a large congregation with a school, there's probably a lot of office stuff, right? Answering phone, emails, that kind of stuff. Um, but ideally, it's, it's for the study of God's word, right? And so that's why there's bookshelves everywhere, because there's all the things that he might uh, benefit to study in his study of God's word. Uh, but office here means uh, like the office of the president. So that usage of the word, which is really more, what do you want to say? Or official, right? So uh, an official of the government. In this case, an official of the church. He's officially set into um, some role or capacity. Uh, and in this case, it's instituted, so it's defined. Following so far? All right. Ministry, what's that word mean? We didn't do this last week. Servants. It means to serve, yeah. Ministerium. Um, uh, diakonia is the Greek word for that, from which we get deacon. So the deacons of the church are the servants of the church, or the deaconesses, if you have those. And Missouri Senate's still struggling a little bit with how to define deacon, deaconess. Um, not a little bit, quite a bit, actually. So we, we consecrate deaconesses into that, that office, but then they end up being church secretaries or something, which is service, but is that what we want that office to be? In the case of pastor, it's defined by God's word, so it's a lot, it's helpful. But it's a ministry, means it's an office of service. So think of Jesus to his disciples. Whoever is to, desires to be greatest among you must be as the least, right? Servant um, or, or the least. And that's Jesus himself, right? He becomes servant in order to be the greatest. <laughs> that's how he loves you is by serving you, not by dominating or domineering over you. And I think we talked about husbands. It's the same way, right? Husbands show headship over their, their wife by serving her providing for everything she needs, which seems upside down to us, right? Yeah, he knows. That's right, he's nodding. Very perceptive. <laughs> Good. Well-trained. So, and in stretching distance. Well, there's that. <laughs> there is that. Uh, so it's a ministry. So it's an office for service. So pastors are there to serve you. That means they listen. Um, a lot of times they do what you say if it's good for you. If it's not good for you, they'll tell you no, okay? 
um, or maybe not yet, as Jesus does too. Uh, it's holy. What does that mean? Holy. <coughs> yeah, so you guys are elders, right? Yeah. Set apart. To be holy is to be set apart. Um, it also has a connotation of purity, right? So to, usually when God sets apart something, he washes it, he cleanses it. Like think of all the temple utensils in the temple and the temp posts and the, or no, now I'm thinking of the tabernacle, but same difference. You know, all the things that were used in the, in the service to the congregation were set apart, used for that purpose, um, and even cleansed and, and ritually dedicated for that purpose too. And that's how they indicated its holiness. So that means that you generally don't use, like, the communion vessels you don't use for, for a fellowship meal in the, in the gym, right? Because they're set apart for the use of, of giving the Lord's body and blood in, this, in the sacrament. And generally speaking, the church is the same way. Although there are occasions where you have, like, a meeting in there because there's just nowhere else to have it. Like, was that last week? Yeah. Yeah, we, we're going to have it down here, but there's rentals happening here all the time. As I... Just watch, I watch out the study window upstairs on Sunday sometimes and just revolving doors and I don't know who any of these people are, which is funny. Okay, so put that all together. Instituted, Christ-given, office, meaning it's, um, it has duties, responsibilities, uh, holy, set apart by God, ministry for service. You get all that? It's all in that. So that's why we list the whole thing out in the heading. <laughs> It's a, it's a mouthful. All right. Then, if you look at the right, and the page breaks might be different because I printed new copies, but I didn't get the breaks the same, I think. But you can notice there's a couple sections here. Responsibilities, strength and promise, and then questioning. You see that? Yeah. So responsibilities, strength and promise, and then questioning. And this is, how, this is often how it works, right? Uh, think, of, think of the fourth commandment in particular. This one's pretty noteworthy. God says, what's fourth commandment? Honor, Honor your father and mother that it, well that it may go well with you and that you may live long, live long in the earth, right? If you do that, I'm going to murder you. You know, your parents might say that. Um, hopefully not. Not literally, obviously, but yeah. Uh, but there actually is a reality to that, isn't there? That, like, when they say don't put your hand on the stove, I mean, you're talking about, like, losing your hand. Or, well, anyway, I looked at Ethan because there's this is my son, by the way. Oh, he's a guest. Say, who are you? My name is Ethan Gillespie. Uh, usually I attend Trinity Lutheran Church in Lowell with the mm-hmm. rest of my Lowell, Indiana. Yeah, with your family. Uh, today, except. Yeah, except. Your organist hurt his finger, so I'm filling in for him. Yeah, or when you play elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't always play there. So that's my son. Anyway, uh, how old were you? I don't know. Vicarage? What? (laughs) Oh, I was seven. You were seven, yeah. Uh, We were frying fish, and I, like, moved his chair while he's standing by the fryer. Put his hand in the fryer. Yeah. Show me which hand was it? Looks okay. You can't tell. You can't tell. So... (laughs) Mom's, a, mom's a, got miracle salves and things, so, well, you know, which, yeah, well, it sure seemed that way. It's like, wow, it's healing. Look at that. All right, so how do we want to go about this? How long do we want to take? Uh, it can take a while to talk about all these things. I think responsibilities are important, so we certainly have to do that, and then that leads to the strength and promise. So it's like, here's what he does, here's what he must do, 
and it has this benefit, which is also pervasive in there too. Okay? Following so far? All right, so here, what the Holy Scripture says, or Jesus, says concerning the responsibilities of the office of the Holy Ministry. John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Mm. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Yeah, very good. Uh, So numbers matter. How many times has he asked the question? Three. Three times. Why do you think that is? We like three, don't we? I, I unintentionally emphasized the third day this morning when I was reading the Old Testament reading. But now you'll pay attention to it if you're coming to late. But on the third day, it's like, coincidence? I don't know. There's a lot of three-day stuff in the, in the Bible on the third day. I think Jonah, how long was he in the belly of the fish? Uh, three days. And Jesus even tells you what that means. So that helps. But uh, anyway, why three here, though? I think it's even more profound than that. Yeah, Peter denied Jesus three times, and now Jesus um, hears his good confession three times, right? So it's, it's this reversal, and it's for Peter's benefit. It's not because he has to hear this repentance, although he loves to hear repentance. He loves to hear that confession. But Peter needs the confidence that, he, that the Lord is sending him and that he is forgiven, along with the rest of the apostles, since uh, all but John betrayed him, right? Left him, left him beyond. There's also some nuances there, too, I caught. I hadn't really thought about that until today. Because it's, how's it go? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and then feed my sheep. Okay. But you have feeding and tending, which is a little different. I was going to look that up. What is it to tend to sheep? It's more than just feeding them, right? Keep them in good order. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, they translate it tending, um, but it, it's a, that's a metaphorical translation of, it's actually poi, poi uh, meno, which is actually just shepherd them. So, shepherd them, or metaphorically tend, cherish, be of good mind of, but really just be their shepherd. And the feeding part, that one's probably pretty obvious. We'll see if that one's any different. Uh, da, 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 find it, find it. Uh, Bosca, yeah, that's the... That's to feed, but specifically with a herd, right? And then, where's the last one? Feed my sheep. End of verse 17? Nope, same word. Yeah. So it's feed lambs, feed sheep, but it's shepherd my sheep in the middle. And maybe you can make something out of that or not. Why lambs? Why lambs? Why sheep? Uh, Because lambs are cute. And sheep are just big and furry, hopefully, unless they've been shorn, and then they're kind of... I grew up on a sheep farm, so... My, my father, well, it's a sheep farm. I mean, he was a hobbyist farmer. So at times we had, I think at the peak, we had like 130 head, but generally it was like 20, 30, something like that. But we'd shear them. Yeah, they, they, it was a wool breed. And they're, ugh, they're ugly after that. Pretty ugly before that, too. They're not like in the movies because they just, they, they're dirty. 
have to wash the wool. <laughs> it's not clean. Uh, it's also lanolin. Beautiful on your hands, though. Ah, they're soft forever after that. Okay, side note. Anything else on that text? You want to keep going? Yeah. All right, next, proof 24. i just go around here. We could do that. No? Mark Jesus down. said to them, thus, is it, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. All right, so there you go. What, what is the responsibility there? Preaching, yes, there's your word, proclaiming um, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Oh, and, the, well, but first, proclaiming Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So death and resurrection is there, too. That's all part of that proclamation. You do it in his name, beginning from Jerusalem. Um, so that's, that's kind of the great commission of Luke, you might say, if you want to use those terms. Preaching office. And as Jesus says, well, how can, or is it Jesus? Oh, no, it's St. Paul, right? How can, how, how can they hear preaching unless a preacher is sent to them? <laughs> it's intuitive, right? It needs to be preached, but that means you need a preacher. All right. No questions there? Keep going. First Corinthians, catechism. Oh, yeah, question. Okay, yeah. So beginning in Jerusalem, so the way that the apostolic office works is... I don't know, there's like a boot here, and then there's Mediterranean. Okay, this is the Mediterranean. I don't even know how to spell it. All right, so here's Jerusalem, roughly-ish. That's, that's C, which way? Which way does it go? That C's down here. All right. Uh, so it's pretty up here, and it's dead down there. So beginning with Jerusalem, but then everywhere. So... So the disciples are here. They're all gathered together on Pentecost. There's 3,000 souls there. They're from everywhere. Medes, Carthians, Persians. Who else? LIPs. Whatever elder gets to read that has all the fun with it, right? Yes. If you have, this is when you have lay readers where it gets a little wonky because it's like, oh, these are all foreign words today. Yeah, prepare. They give you phonetic spelling, on, in the, by the way, in the book off to the right. So so that if you do have lay readers, they, they're not, or even if you have kind of silly pastors. But yes, Elamites, Medes, Persians, visitors from Rome. So that's somewhere over here. I don't know. Because this is like, and then, well, there's Sicily. You don't forget that. Uh, they wouldn't want us to forget that. Right, so there were visitors in Jerusalem from Rome, but they were all here on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. The disciples speak to them in their tongues. And then the tradition of the church some of this is recorded, not all of it's recorded, but like Paul's missionary <laughs> journeys are recorded, you know, all three, four, five, five times, four times at least, that he went and where he went and ended up in Rome. Uh, but there were already people, Christians in Rome, because they were there on Pentecost and they went back with that message. But then the apostles went out uh, to preach to them and sent letters to some of these churches that were founded as a result of, of Pentecost. So it began in Jerusalem uh, it does become a problem because most of the disciples, they hang out in Jerusalem and they don't leave. You remember that? So that's, they like kind of just hiding away in Jerusalem. And I, I would argue, I don't think it's too much to say, uh, that's why God sent the Romans to destroy Jerusalem in AD 70. 
and destroy the temple. There's like, there's no way you can go back to Jerusalem. I mean, there's great suffering. It was terrible. If you read about it in, um, uh, who is it that records that for us? Josephus. Josephus, yeah. When you read Josephus on that, I mean, there's, there's cannibalism. I mean, it's bad. It's bad. They were sieged by Rome. Rome knew what they were doing. They know how to kill people. Uh, or bring, in, bring them into submission. So they pay their taxes again. Or in this case, we're done with you. We've been over this. You revolt every three years, it seems like. You know, just enough. Wipe it clean. Um, so you couldn't go back to the temple. Because even in the book of Acts, like Acts 2, it's recorded that they were gathering in the temple daily to hear God's word. And then they went into the homes for the Lord's Supper for the breaking of bread. So, and they just kind of hang out there for a long time. Paul criticizes them. He's up in Damascus. Even the Jerusalem Council is 10 years after Paul's conversion. So, I mean, a whole decade after Pentecost, and there's still a majority of the disciples hanging out in Jerusalem. So they didn't quite take the Lord as seriously at his word as they should have, I would say. Um, but he has a way of kind of like with Jonah. It's like, not gentle prodding, <laughs> but far more like, okay, you're done in this place. I maybe experienced this myself personally. You're done in this place, and now through violence and force, you're going to end up in this place, right? By the way, I didn't announce because I haven't decided about the call that I received. I, sh I should have said that this morning. Some of you may be wondering, but I delayed it because I don't have enough information at this point. That's a call to Cleveland. All right. And, yes, violence and force. Does that help as far as answering the question? It does. I think also you just, you know, it's like the whole mission is emanating from Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. We draw parallels close later on when the Muslims have to be like a Oh, right. Every start a movement. So all that starts here and all the spread, that isn't always true. That isn't always true anymore, yeah. Yeah, because most people think like Salt Lake City for the Mormons, but that's not really the, it was upstate New York, and then it was <laughs> Western Illinois, and, you know, Nauvoo, yeah. So, uh, that's kind of right now, Missouri Synod, actually it's also not really quite true. We say it's, oh, it's Missouri Synod, St. Louis, but it was the uh, Andra uh, Staten was the end of the time, so it was Missouri, and Ohio, and uh, Indiana, Illinois, I think, and, and other states. We just shortened it down to Missouri Synod um, because it included, I mean, really the founding meccas, if you like, were St. Louis, Fort Wayne, Frankenmuth, and Chicago, actually. I would put Chicago on that list, too, because the first, I think the first convention was here. Yeah, the first meeting. Winnikin was here. All right, so that's off the beaten path a little bit, but you get the idea. Beginning in Jerusalem, and then it expands out. And then there's, I mentioned there's some things recorded, there's others that aren't. So tradition... Uh, Thomas went to India. India, yeah, that's the tradition. Uh, Andrew, they have to Russia. Actually, the Russians say that he made it to Russia. Well, I don't know. Sounds nice. Uh, somebody made it to China, apparently. In I don't know. What years did Thomas go to India? <laughs> what do they say? I, I don't know. The timetable doesn't work out for me, and I don't know that it much matters. The gospel made it there, so we know that much. The reason I asked the question is that I work for a Sikh, mm. and a lot of their basic tenets are very, very similar to Christian tenets. Yeah. First century? Um, although John probably, the Apostle John is the last one to die, and he's probably about 80 AD, so it would be before that. That's even, 
Yeah, that's first century. But that's timetable stuff. I think it's a little wonky. Traditions don't quite line up with with actual timetables in the way you'd want them to. But it's the difference between history and tradition. Okay. Somehow the gospel made it there. Uh, apostles. First Corinthians eleven. For I received the Lord delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke up the sacrifice. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, often this is the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Yeah. So it is interesting that they, in the right here, they use that translation, even though it's different than the translation we use in the actual service of the sacrament. Right? There's some distinctions there. You caught them, um, probably. But, but these are the words of institution, the verba. This is what the Lord's Supper is, right? Why it's given, the benefits that are the, entailed therein. Um, and who, who received these words? The disciples in the upper room, right? On the night he was betrayed. Incidentally, this is Paul saying, here are those words. Was Paul there? No. So how did it begin? For I received from the Lord what, what I also delivered to you. So he says he received it from the Lord. How did he receive it from the Lord? Could have been the direct you know, interaction he had with the Lord as the Lord catechized him in Damascus after he was struck blind and the whole, that whole thing, uh, which Paul had a special catechesis that the others didn't. Um, or it could have been that he just heard it in the context of the disciples when, when he visited them in Jerusalem um, or it had reached them from other Christians. Uh, so there's a couple different ways that that could be received, maybe. But these are the words. I, I think it's pretty clear in 1 Corinthians that he's describing what's happening in the church in Corinth, the Christian church there. These words are being recited. So you could look at the context of that to pull that out. But th sometimes there's a cri criticism of the Christian church that, um, even from within the Christian church, that, that the Lord's Supper is just an, a, kind of a nice thing that we do together, a fellowship time, but it isn't constitutive or at the heart and center of the life of the Christian. Which, dis I mean, to make that argument, you have to disagree with Acts 2, 41, 42 in particular, where it says that they broke bread daily in their homes. Um, the breaking bread is used throughout the book of Acts as a, as a you know, catchphrase or a euphemism to describe the whole of the Lord's Supper. But here's Paul saying, I received it, now I give it to you. And I think that's also very important to catch there. So this is why I don't discourage parents from bringing their children to the altar, in part. One, they get a blessing, that's nice. But two, um, you're, you're beginning that catechesis for them to, be, to watch what you're doing and, and how, what the pastor is saying and to hear all those words. And so they're beginning to, or they are receiving um, and being prepared then to receive themselves. Make sense? Yeah. Another guest. Oh, I'm so bad at this. I met the pastor now. He's my friend John here. Mm -hmm. I had a question about the service itself. Yeah. You've been blessed with a wonderful voice, but um, is that part of the service where you sing? We don't, you know, we uh -huh. sing words, but do you, is that every who's the time does it just no. have to get to no, so uh, this is an important point, actually. Um, it's really another conversation, but, it, but it's helpful here. And the, 
because I don't think I've said it, um, that what we, what we confess in the Augsburg Confession in particular is that uh, it is enough for the unity of the church that we agree on um, the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments, meaning um, that we agree what the gospel is, what it does, why, why we preach that, but also um, the administration of the sacrament is largely, we say these words, and we use these elements according to Christ's own institution. And generally speaking, it means that we agree on the order of those things. That's how it's understood. So it means that um, we sometimes call the five pillars of the divine service. I don't know if you've heard that before. Is that a new thing? <coughs> Kyrie, Agnus Dei, what? Lord's Prayer. Gloria. Gloria. Oh, I skipped Gloria. Kyrie, Gloria. No, Kyrie, Gloria, Lord's Prayer. Sanctus, Agnus Dei. Um, that those five, those are present in every Lutheran divine service, God willing. <laughs> Not always. So that's generally what that, where we go with that. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's always done the same way. So Sunday nights, we speak it, speak the liturgy. That's usually just a handful of people. So um, it's a little harder to pull it off to execute, you know, a sung service. Although you can, if you have a singer. I can sing one my part. If there's a singer in the congregation, then, then we've got it. But uh, we say that the singing is there to edify and to glorify the word. Um, in particular, singing God's word, you can't sing it very fast. I don't know if you've caught that. It takes longer. And that's beneficial because a lot of times we're in a hurry. Also, uh, 20 years ago, taking out the carpet means that I have to speak slower too because I understand not had much opportunity to be out in the pew, but if I talk much faster than this, you won't understand what I'm saying because of the reverberation, which is great for singing. And it means I also have to be patient when I speak, which is also good. Gives you time to process things here. Yeah. Um, that's the, a Lutheran thing. Uh, Rome did it in chants. Like, okay, so... Rome does chant. They'll right. chant psalms. I mean, that, we generally follow kind of a modified Gregorian for like the psalm singing we did today. Um, they will they will chant other parts of the liturgy. The one part that they don't chant are the words of institution. Okay, maybe that's the specific part. The so so when people say, "Oh, you're chant you're chanting so Catholic," I'm like, "Well, oh, that part isn't." Right. <laughs> um, yeah, and and the reason for that it's a lot. There's a long answer to not a very long question, but. The reason for that is the tone that we use to chant the Lord's, or not the Lord's Prayer, the words of institution, is actually the same tone that Luther appointed for singing the gospel lesson. Have you been in a church where the gospel is sung? Oh, Eric has, okay. Anybody else? No? I think they probably do it like at the Bach festivals when they do that at your church. Probably. Because <laughs> that, I mean, Luther had, he had a rite of the, of the Mass, or Lord's Supper, you know, that service, and that's, he said, here's how you sing the gospel. And it was like, why? Because it's beautiful. Music's a wonderful gift from God, and it beautifies the words, and it, it also carries very well. This is a day without amplifiers and microphones. So, so that's, uh, I mean, it's not a, do you have to do it? No. We would say it, we're free in the gospel to sing or not sing. Pastor can't sing, don't sing. That's kind of my recommendation, you know. He's not a chanter, don't, to and uh, I'm not well trained, but I happen to have fallen into it, you know, through experience mostly. Singing the responses, I learned, you learn how to sing the other side of it, right? So, yeah. Uh, last benefit is my, since Ezra was two, he could chant 
the words of institution. Oh, yeah. And I want him to say other parts of the liturgy, but consistently he'll be chanting the yeah. words of institution with you or Pastor Hines. That's that, okay? Yeah. Along, so you, when you appoint music to words, it helps for for uh, memorization for memory. Yeah, I recorded uh, for Concordia Publishing House a couple weeks ago, but I turned in the, the recording um, a setting of Luther's morning and evening prayer. That was th there are other musical settings out there, but they're not wonderful. This one uses the same tune for both morning and evening. It just changes the words, and it's uh, it was really nice actually. Um, I have it in my head now, so I think it's catchy enough that it'd be a great way to learn those prayers, is to learn them to music. So, anyway, I have them in my head because I recorded them and then I edited them, but yeah, they're there. Good point. How are we doing on time? Still good. All right. So, Lord's Supper. So, what have we had? Preaching the gospel, Lord's Supper, and before that, tending the sheep, right? Feeding the sheep. Next, First Timothy 4. Do not neglect the gift you have, which is given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, devote yourself to them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Okay. Oh, man, there's a lot there, isn't there? Um, what do we want to... Do not neglect the gift that you have. And the word for gift there is charismatos, from which we get charismatic. So what is charis? Do you know what that is in Greek? The word charis? Grace. 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 So charismatos are, are gracious gifts, we might say, are gracie gifts, <laughs> right? Um, they're bestowed upon you, and they're, and they're free, and they're, they're gracious. Don't neglect that, which is in you, which is interesting. It's put into you, uh, which was given you by what? Prophecy. Yeah, now what does that mean? Yeah, what's in, in the New Testament, prophecy takes on a new meaning. It doesn't mean predictive, kind of like here's what's going to happen kind of thing. But it, it, well, actually, it's not really all that new, but it, it's consistent with the Old Testament. The prophets were people sent to, to preach God's word, right? But it was a new word, right? It was a revelation from God that they would preach. In the New Testament, they go, the gift of prophecy isn't, with the exception of the apostles, it's not usually a new word. It's actually re repetition of what Jesus said to them or an expo expansion upon that, right? So the gift of prophecy or the, or was, given to you by prophecy means what you were taught by your preacher, by your pastor. Okay? Following so far? With. Is that right? Yeah, with. And you can go read like Acts 6 to just, where you can see this actually done in practice. With the laying on of hands of the pres, presbytery, actually. So the eldership. the pres, So this is not the elders of the congregation. Who laid on hands? Yeah, we might say like the consistory. Well, that's still an old word. Yeah, the other pastors. So you see this in the right. This is what happens. The pastors come, they put their hands on the, newly, the one to be newly ordained. Um, does the hands really do anything? In and of themselves? No, it's like the water, right? You, wash, you, know, you take a bath, is it a baptism? No, not without the word. Yeah, without the word of God, it's no baptism, right? Luther reminds you in the catechism. Same here. It's like, oh, a pastor comes along and puts his hands on your head. That's, 
it's the word that goes with that that matters. And we probably are a little, I keep wanting to use Ethan as an example. I guess that's from old days Bible class, right? But um, you know, it's like when I give a, write, give a blessing to the child, you know, hand on head or you know, make the sign of the cross on their forehead at their baptism, we kind of gotten away from being tactical in the church. So everybody is, is so closed in. And we don't want to, we don't want to, is it germs? Is it mad cow disease or something? Or is it germs? You think it is? I think it's also we're just, we're just not that intimate physically. Yeah. So there's this physical space. Like even if you call the phone that's next to me, that's an invasion of my, of my sphere here. Right. Um, but, but that's not, that's really kind of foreign to the church. So there's things, there were practices in the church that really make us uncomfortable that actually really shouldn't. Um, like, they didn't have the handshake of death, as I called it. They had the kiss of peace. We, a lot of congregations stopped doing the handshake thing because they were so worried about holy the holy handshake. It was flu. It was mad cow. It was, what else? <laughs> HIV. I, HIV? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Seriously. It's possible. There, yeah, I don't know. I mean, when the, there was a time where you didn't know how it was transmitted, so... Well, when it first was, yeah, yeah, um, but that's kind of that's not kind of it is foreign to the church. There's a there's an intimacy, your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And so there's there, there's a physical intimacy. You shouldn't be afraid to sit next to each other. Um, maybe even like, oh, I don't know. I'm not a hugger, but apparently some people are. So, I that's fine. I'll give if you want a hug, you just give me a hug. That's fine. You can give me a hug, but. I don't know if I'll offer. <laughs> you get the idea. Um, and one of the places I think we're talking about germs, one of the places most evident is the Lord's Supper and the practice there. Right? But you see it here. There's a laying on of hands. Oh, I was talking about like individual cup. We share a cup. Whew. Talk about germs. Not really. Silver, gold, and actually pretty high alcohol content in the wine. I don't know if you knew that, um, but that's a, that's a fortified wine. So it's a wine, and then they make a port out of the wine, and they put the port back in. So it's a wine with the port. Did you know that? Oh, okay. And that raises the alcohol content, and that's intentional, actually. One, you don't have to get very much of it, and you're like, oh, that's nice. And <laughs> Well, it is. It's Christ's body and blood, right? Okay. Um, but, sec- but second, if, if the alcohol content is too low and the sugar content is too high, then it's great for bacteria. And, you know, so you, they reverse that. So it's a little drier, and then it's it's more alcohol. Um, yeah. Uh, that would be Mr. Welch. <laughs> no, seriously, um, he's he's the one who invented the use of pasteurization for grapes. Before that, you couldn't have grape juice unless you just pressed the grapes and you drank it then. Because as soon as you let it sit, it ferments. Because all the bacteria is naturally in the grapes, in the skins, and yeah. So you can't help grapes from fermenting unless you pasteurize it. So that's, that was Mr. Welch, and he was a Baptist. So go figure. Makes sense. Uh, incidentally, I saw a recipe online where you can put Welch's in your Instapot and add some kind of bacteria, and then you can make it back into wine. No. <laughs> so, yeah, Mr. Welch would be rolling in his grave. Oh. No, we don't want to make too much light about it. I mean, there is a, there is a repeated prohibition in the scripture about drunkenness, you know, drinking wine to excess. Um, some understand that as meaning 
uh, any wine is excess. Which um, Then we have a little problem with Jesus at the wedding at Cana, for example, when he turns water into wine and apparently understands what good wine tastes like because he made it in the best wine they'd had. Um, and then also, uh, I don't know, like the prophecies of Isaiah or in Revelation where you talk about, like Isaiah says, that, that the heavenly feast is with you know, well-aged marrow. You ever get that at a restaurant? Big bone with the marrow in it? And they cut it lengthwise and then just eat the marrow. Ooh, it's good stuff. Super rich, right? Uh, and then well-aged wine or like a port. So you say, well, it's heaven. You're not going to get drunk on it. Well, okay, fine. That's true. Um, so it's, it, pastorally, the way this plays out is we actually watch how much, I actually watch how much wine people drink at the Lord's Supper. Um, I've never had this problem, but I'm always just a little, you know, I watch for people who take like half the cup, you know, and you're like, okay, you might want to take it a little easy, you know. I know you want Christ's forgiveness, but it's not the amount of wine that, you know, it isn't the amount of wine. It's the same thing with the water, right, in baptism. Whether you immerse or you sprinkle, it's not the amount of water that matters, it's the word with the water. You can take a gulp, don't, don't, don't take that the wrong way. I mean, you don't, it doesn't have to be a little sip. If, if you want, when you take, have to twist the cup out of their hand, you know you have a problem. <laughs> yeah, and that was a problem, especially in the medieval period, because um, they, there were many that actually, oh, well, I won't even tell you the story, but they, how can I avoid it now? But whatever. Um, but people who would fast, these are women, largely, they would fast and fast and fast, and then their first meal after a day would be the Lord's Supper. And, and they would like, there's a story about the one woman, she clamped, like a, she clamped down on the chalice. He couldn't get it out of her mouth because she was so famished. Yeah, so she bit into it. So, weird stuff. But, how are we doing? It's right at 10.30. Want to do one more? Then we'll be done? All right. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Mm. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they... <coughs> be found trustworthy. Right. So there's the word servants. That's the ministry word, right? Stewards. What is a steward? Someone who keeps, you know, keeps watch or, or really handles, right? The mysteries of God, which that's another, I mean, what are the mysteries of God? Yeah, it's, it's really sacramental, I think. It's, but it's, I mean, even salvation could be determined as mystery, but Paul calls specifically the Lord's Supper uh, mysterion, so mystery. This is, behold, this is a mystery, he says. Yeah. Well, I think in the previous one, we kind of skipped over the... Oh, I know, we should probably go back to that. The, uh, keeping the watch on the dock. We'll go back to it. Hold on, hold on. Okay, so it's stewards, and that they be found trustworthy. So there's an examination of the, of the potential pastor. In this case... Um, Paul is telling the church in Corinth, look at this guy, you know, is he, does he hold to the mystery? Or does he teach according to the mystery, you know, as he's received it? Or is he, or even if he's just kind of a liar and a, you know, a thief or whatever, that disqualifies from handling the word of God because he treats it, he might treat it the same way. Lie, thief, whatever. Uh, Eric pointed out, we should probably go back to the last reading quickly. Uh, Practice these things, that means the gifts that were given to you, when the council of elders laid their hands on you, that's the pastors, so that all may see your progress. What is that? Devote yourself to them. What does that mean? So that all may see your progress. 
so here's here's a here's something that maybe will shock you a little bit, but the new pastor out of the seminary is pretty green. He's not very good at being a pastor, and that's okay, actually. Um, it just requires the congregation to say, "Oh, he's a new guy. Let's be patient with him. Let's help him. Let's encourage him. Um, let's." Uh, you know, assist him in, in this work, sending continuing education, seminary class, more seminary classes if he wants, whatever. Uh, help him in this, in this growth. Uh, and that's going to be the case even if you call a pastor who's 40 years in the ministry. As there's, your situation is always going to be unique. No matter how much you try to say, this happened with the principal call. Was that last week? Yeah. You know, well, does this person have administrative experience? And the one candidate didn't and the other one did, right? But there's a way that the other candidate, well, could he have learned? I think that question came up, right? Yeah, and the question is, well, probably yes, but given the immediate situation, the congregation, they felt it best to have somebody who's kind of seen this before, could step right in and maybe take action right away uh, as needed. Whereas, you know, if you were in a more stable situation, I think financially, looking at Dan, um, then that might have been easier to grow with somebody, right, and kind of help them along and and it's the same with pastor. You can try to find a pastor that meets every one of your, your needs, um, all your desires, and everything you hope for a pastor, which is probably a com- combination of every pastor you've ever known, each of you individually. Your ideal pastor is probably an amalgamation of the best character of all of those people, all those men. Um, you're not going to find him. And you're certainly not going to find a pastor who, who meets everybody's. So, so there's a way that he has to grow into your situation and then a way that you have to grow with him as well. Learn to listen. You know, Ethan played organ today. Doesn't play like Mark plays, right? You know, you caught a little things here and there. Maybe if you're a singer, especially, you'd be like, oh, that's a little different or it's a little quieter or whatever it is. And then you have to adapt, right? And it, but if you heard him three weeks in a row, you'd be like, oh, I get it now, right? That's a, he keeps saying that or he keeps doing that. Make sense? So that's that progress. Keep close watch on yourself. This is the one whose hands have been laid on and on the teaching. So continually examine what you preach and teach according to God's word, right? And I would say against our confession of faith too, the, dogs, the Lutheran confessions, which is our, this is what we think the, or believe the Bible teaches. Persist in doing in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So the, the barrier to false doctrine, falling into unbelief, to shame, despair, vice, all the things that afflict even pastors, um, is to be in God's word themselves. But like pastors, like everybody, they get busy. Right? And there's stuff going on. And that's why I say, don't call a pastor's office, call it the study, and that will remind you, hmm, maybe we should leave him alone so he can study. Or play Minecraft, or whatever it is he does in his study. <laughs> Oops. I say that out loud? I did. I don't play Minecraft. But that's what came to mind. All right, good. We'll, we'll end it there. Mark your, uh, mark your page. We'll do, do some more of these uh, responsibilities next time. How's that? Uh, we didn't start with prayer. Let's close with prayer, though. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for blessing um, us with your church, by which we hear your word, receive your gifts. Uh, we ask that you would uphold and protect the pastors of your church, that they would preach and teach according to your word administer these gifts as stewards of the mysteries in accordance with their institution, that all would be blessed and uh, received to their benefit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.